Getting in is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Just for being a Getting In listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice by going to www.audible.com college. From Slate and Panoply, this is Getting In, a podcast series about the path to college. I'm your host, Julie Lithcott-Hames. Today, we'll hear an update from one of our Getting In seniors, and we'll be answering more of your listener questions. Joining me today is Getting In's expert, Steve Lemenager. Steve's the president of Advice, an independent college counseling firm, and he's a former director of admissions at Princeton. Welcome back, Steve. It's great to be back, Julie. Well, it's that time of year. It's the time of year where if you haven't heard yet, you're about to hear... Frank Bruni, one of the New York Times op-ed columnists, had a piece out recently satirizing Stanford for having admitted no people this year. Stanford had, I think, the lowest admission rate in the country last year. And this year, uh, Frank has decided to satirize the process by saying, my goodness, Stanford admitted no one. I've already had a few people write me saying, my goodness, is this true? And of course, it's not. But it does beg the question, where is this headed? Is there some point at which selectivity becomes absurdity? Is there some point at which this march toward an almost impossible outcome needs to be reexamined? You know, I had a friend who runs admissions at NYU bragging about their incredibly high number of applicants last year. And I wrote him privately and I said, I'm happy for you because I know someone on your campus is holding you to these metrics. But is this something to brag about, the extent to which you will be denying so, so many applicants? So Stanford's real number this year was 4.6%, lowest in Stanford's history. As an alum, I'm happy that Stanford's so popular, but I'm not thinking this is any kind of number to brag about. Steve, you're in this so much more deeply than I am. What's your role at this time of year? What's going through your head as you think about the seniors you're working with and just your expertise as an independent admissions counselor? Well, I have to say, Julie, this is a highly emotional time for the seniors I'm working with. They're getting their responses and they come piecemeal. And so you never find out about all your results right away. But What I do right now is just to talk students through their options and talk about their offers and their denies and their wait lists and just try to figure out what what's best for them and and to um, to see what the path is going forward. I would like to say something, however, about the intense, crazy uber selectivity and and the numbers that are being bandied about, you know, four point six percent and so forth. I I get a little worried when when schools go to the hundredth. A percentile when they describe their admission rate as if it's somehow that precise. And it is such a tiny percentage, and I love Frank Bruni's column, satirically talking about Stanford's taking no one. And I guess there are a number of other places that are, that are also taking no one. So I think we're just focusing on the wrong aspect of it. It's it's a bit warped in terms of this, this arms race to see who can reject the most students seems... Uh, exactly opposite to what what they should be thinking about. Yeah, it seems it has actually nothing to do with the kids. You know, the most highly selective schools, the Stanford's, Harvard's, Yale's, Princeton's, etc. of the world, have an incredibly high selectivity. The schools right beneath them are being pressured by their trustees to be more selective, to rise higher in the rankings. So you have schools that are pretty selective, obsessed with being more selective which means obsessed with getting more kids to apply so that they can deny more of them. I think 
it's kind of unconscionable. But rather than focus on that, I think the more productive focus for those of us raising kids amidst this crazy environment is to look at the schools that offer a fantastic education that are not super excited about denying everybody, that are not out there sending messages, emails, little postcards in the mail, apply to us, apply to us, knowing they're going to deny such a huge percent. I'm interested in the set of schools that are a little less selective a little bit more focused on the whole purpose of this thing called college, which is faculty teaching undergraduates, an environment that nourishes them and nurtures them intellectually, personally, helps them mature into their adult selves. I am in love with the schools that are not obsessed with their own selectivity. And my goodness, I think I I hope I'm going to be visiting a few of those with my own kid in a couple of weeks. All right. Well, another soapbox. <laughs> I just want to throw something else out there. It's it's almost as though the colleges don't realize that the message they're sending out uh, about more and more and more and reject, reject, reject is a reflection on their institution and what they value. Yeah. And I think ultimately it's not going to be imminent because kids are still going to apply to, to the Stanfords of the world. But y- you just... You have to you have to think that at some point it's going to bite them, and they're just going to be seen as quite an impersonal place that goes to the hundredth decile with their admission rate. It's not a quantitative process. It's about human beings, as you've said. So I just worry about that. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Well, so let's move from this sort of theoretical, philosophical, what's wrong with the system, to the actual reality. We've got one of our getting in seniors, Jordana Meyer who's got an update for us on how things are going in her particular situation. Let's hear from Jordana. Hi, everyone. It's Jordana. It's been quite a while. A lot has happened. But uh, in terms of hearing from colleges, I still have a few days to go before I hear from the bulk of them. But uh, I've heard from Northwestern and Barnard. Um, I did not get into Northwestern, and I was waitlisted at Barnard, Um, which, you know, I view as somewhat of an accomplishment, But, you know, we'll see if I'll follow up with that after this coming Thursday and Friday where I'll hear from um, my Ivy Leagues and from Tufts and NYU. Oh, boy, Steve. It's so hard to hear kids not getting the results they're hoping to get. What do you tell students who are waitlisted? Well, it's – yeah, I can can feel – I can hear the disappointment in her voice. Um, Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. What I tell students is, you know, let's let's hold off. If you've been waitlisted to a place or, or more than one place, hold off on replying right away to see if you accept their offer. I'd wait until you get all of your outcomes, then decide on whether it's it's a waitlist that you seriously want to pursue. You know, each each college has its own process in terms of what to do when you're placed on on a waitlist, and some places love to hear from students with a new essay or a new letter of recommendation. Most don't. So I I think it's important to be quite discriminating about which places to actually follow up on a wait list. And if if you would actually attend, if it's a place that's on the top of your list um, and you would seriously attend or think about attending, then then I think you you hold on to that wait list. But if you've got other offers offers of admission that you'd prefer to attend, I, I just don't see the point of hanging on to a wait list that way. Well, Jordan has also told us about another big spring event occupying many students' minds, the prom. Prom at my school is a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, we have promposals, which I'm sure many schools have, but they're a really big deal for us. 
and there, we have a Twitter dedicated specifically to BCC promposals where, you know, they'll put out info, you can go watch the promposals, and then also, you know, the dress shopping, and we have a Facebook group for the senior girls, and we all post our dresses so we don't wear the same ones, because, you know, that would be the end of the world, obviously. Yeah, and, you know, the junior girls, there's a rule that you can't wear a long dress unless you're a senior, and uh, there's always drama around that, and it's really, <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's, you know, it's fun to occupy your mind with something that's not so serious. I'm starting rehearsals in a week for hair, which will be so much fun, and that'll be at Arena Stage, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous professional venue, which I'm really excited about. So um, I've also been doing a lot of diversity facilitations around town. I went to a few local schools, and I did them for a few hundred people in one day, uh, which was really crazy and really tiring, but it was rewarding. So I'm keeping very, very busy, but yeah. I'll let you know what happens Thursday, Friday. All right, Jordana, thanks for that. It's wonderful to hear that life continues apace, that the prom is ridiculous and all of this craziness and so on. I love that. I mean, you're a kid and it's your senior year and you ought to enjoy prom. And the fact that these admissions decisions are coming through in ways you had not hoped um, is obviously frustrating. But Jordana, you seem really level-headed about it all, which, you know, I just give you great props for. Uh, We are in this with you, so eager to hear your results and hear your thinking about your choice-making once you get the results and ultimately to help you uh, look forward to what awaits you next year. All right, we'll be hearing more from Jordana and other Getting In Seniors next week. Okay, Steve, we have a few very timely listener questions. We recently got this voicemail from a mom in Seattle. Hello, Julie. This is Patricia Washington from Seattle. I'm calling because my son is receiving several acceptance letters, fortunately, for his college process. Those include financial aid offers that vary from many different schools. Our concern now is that my husband has been laid off from his job. So the financial aid packages, which may have seemed attractive based on our FAFSA, which was filed last year, are no longer suitable for us this year. Is there any way we can negotiate these packages uh, with the schools? Thanks for your help, and we're enjoying your podcast. Uh, Patricia, the first thing I want to say is I'm so sorry to hear about your husband's circumstance with his job. That's got to be incredibly, incredibly tough. Steve, I'm sure hoping the answer is yes, but you'll know best. Can Patricia's family renegotiate, essentially, or talk you know, differently about their financial circumstance, given that things have changed significantly? What's your advice? My advice is that Patricia should certainly call the financial aid offices at the places where, where her, her son's been admitted and have a conversation with them about the circumstances. Um, oftentimes, the, the financial aid folks will be able to amend the financial aid offer. And this would apply directly to the need-based scholarship versus merit-based. And I, I'm, I'm just assuming that perhaps some of her son's scholarships are based on merit as, as well as need. But it, I would say absolutely, she should, she should give them a call and see what, what they say. They may need more information. They need, may need some documentation, which is kind of kind of morbid when you think of it, but yeah. they'll need some documentation of the fact that, that he's been laid off. 
And then most of these places will reconsider the the financial aid award. Will it help that he's received offers from a few different places? So, you know, in, in that sense, he is, you know, obviously an attractive candidate. People are giving financial aid offers, you know, this opportunity to say to a school, well, he's really interested in you, but this other school has given us more money. And this is our financial circumstance. My husband's just lost his job. I mean, is that something that um, that's sort of playing off each other without it, you know, being as crude as that? How would how would you advise them to handle that? The fact of multiple offers. I think it's it's very helpful to share the other institutions where he's been admitted and and also the other. Is that allowed? Oh, oh, sure. It's that information okay. belongs to to him. And, and he can share that information with others okay. um, confidentially, of course. But but still, I think that's perfectly allowable. And I think you're getting to the point now where the colleges are being quite aggressive in terms of wanting to have the students that whom they've admitted to come to their place. So if yeah. they have, you know, the other yeah. caveat here is, is the financial aid budget that they have at their particular schools. So it, they may not have the same flexibility of, of hiking that award for this year if they've already spent their their budget or expect to be to have their budget um, be tapped out. Okay. I think it's also important to know that you apply for financial aid each year. So the college has the chance to to adjust the award based on family circumstances. So even if it if if the college can't adjust the award for this year, they will in subsequent years presumably. Of course, it's got to be scary to go into a situation hoping that that'll be the case. If they don't respond now, you cross your fingers that they will when the next FAFSA officially is filed. Exactly. Um, but yeah, of course, I mean, they're in this business to try to help kids afford college, the financial aid people. So uh, here's fingers crossed for um, for success in that endeavor, Patricia, and bigger picture uh, for your family to get solidly on its feet again uh, with the circumstances you've just described, obviously being really challenging. All right, Steve. Well, have you ever received an email with the subject heading doomsday scenario? So, something similar. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Well, now you have. We just got this letter from a mother in Fairfield County, Connecticut, which is a county just a little bit north of New York City. She asked that we not use her name. Let's hear it. The decisions are rolling in. In our case, they are not good news. My daughter stubbornly overestimated her chances at many schools. She was rejected everywhere. She is left only with a waitlist from a supposed safety school, a waitlist from a school where she was a reach to begin with and where they put thousands on the waitlist and maybe take 100 tops, and an accept at a safety school that she would never consider attending. She only applied there because it was one click on the Common App. If she wants to decline her one admit offer and her waitlist spots and take a gap year to reapply with a much more realistic outlook on what her target colleges should be, what is your best advice? What should she do between now and the end of school to help make that transition? Are there any competitive schools to which she can apply for admission next January? Oh, Steve, this mom's upset. I know a lot of parents, a lot of students are sort of in this circumstance. The results are not what they'd hoped, and now they're trying to figure out, do we go forward to college next year, or is there some better uh, scenario awaiting us if we take a year away in a gap year sense? What do you think? Well, I, I would say the options that th- this daughter has is, is to take a gap year and reapply, perhaps not to the same school she applied to the first time around, a more realistic set of schools. That's if a gap year makes sense for her and yeah. and she'd be able to do things that might even augment her profile. The other thing is to attend the college she's accepted to and then to apply for transfer. I, I don't know of many schools that may be um, exciting for a, a potential student from Fairfield County, 
mm. Connecticut who, where, who would accept a January admission. Uh, that, that tends to be um, a very small subset of schools that will do that. Um, I'm sorry. Tell me, tell me what you mean about that. The fact that she's from Fairfield, Connecticut. What does that have to do with it? That's one of the counties in the in the country that seem to shoot highest when it comes to college applications. So suburban New York, and I think okay. this young woman probably got caught in that expectations game of there are only certain schools that I I can really uh, go to and be considered successful, quote unquote, in my life. And I think she's probably been caught in that that web. Yeah. Um, so that's what I meant by that. First, in terms of what she should do for the rest of her school year, I think this is probably the most salient advice. She needs to to really buckle down and, and have her final grades be as high as they can be, because if she were to reapply during a gap year, that's the final transcript that would be sent to the colleges. And so if there's some wiggle room to improve, she should really refocus and, and do that. And she may actually want to take some more standardized tests <laughs> in, in the spring, in May and June. Just to, I know that's probably the last thing she wants to do. Want to. <laughs> want but. to. Yeah. yeah, I'm guessing she's going to be really unhappy at the thought of, at this point, having to work harder than her classmates to finish her senior year, you know, maybe even stronger than they are because somehow she's trying to get another bite at the apple here. But really practical advice that, yeah, if you're trying to essentially uh, compose a new application for a different set of schools next year, then you're still in it. And, you know, your advice, I think, is quite sound that you've got to you got to continue to, you know, strengthen that foot you put forward. And to get a much better list. And she may have to miss her prom this year. Oh, no, no. I'm just kidding. No. I'm just yes. kidding. Steve that, is that was, kidding. And, uh, and, and we do not advocate <laughs> skipping prom for college applications on this podcast. Well, you know, I'm hearing a little bit of what Jordana's going through in this question. You know, Jordana's applied to a set of schools. And, you know, it may be that if she's got a list that is just not quite the right list for her. Um, really hard to believe, hard to swallow. But, um, you know, it may be that she's finding herself in a situation of, I'm not so sure that I want to go to the schools I've been admitted to. You know, I didn't get into the schools I want. You know, my my sense as she was sharing that with us is, boy, does Jordana need, a, you know, a slightly different list. You know, this mindset that you allude to, the Fairfield County mindset, the Fairfax County, Virginia mindset, the Palo Alto, California mindset, it exists in many communities across the country, which is, oh, my goodness, we need to apply to the most selective schools. This is what Frank Bruni is satirizing in some ways in his New York Times piece this week. He's got a lovely little bit in there where he says a kid was denied from Stanford and was admitted to MIT and Duke, but it's going to take a gap year to re- to regain her confidence as if somehow one should be ashamed of having been to, admitted only to MIT or Duke. Obviously, it's satire. And yet, there is so much reality behind that. I have heard of a real-life kid who's unhappy at Yale because she didn't get into Stanford. Give me a break. We have done this to our kids. We've got them thinking that somehow, you know, some schools are so much better than others that somehow they should feel themselves diminished to be attending one of these other schools. So yeah, a different set of lists, a more realistic uh, view of which schools are possible, and then really getting excited about those schools. Yeah, it's a shift in mindset that's needed in the parents, in the kids. 
I'm going through that same shift. I think I've actually gone through that shift. There were years when I thought I wanted my kids to go to a highly selective school. And boy, being in the trenches of it, I now can walk the walk and say, I'm thrilled for my kid to attend the school that's right for him. And I really could care less about whether anyone anywhere has heard of it. All right. To the gap year. With respect to gap years, I'm on the board of a gap year organization, so that's my uh, caveat. It's called Global Citizen Year. It's one of many opportunities for kids to do something meaningful in the year after their senior year of high school before they go to college. There are a lot of great options. It's becoming increasingly a popular option for American kids as it is for European kids. So to the mom in Fairfield County, you know, a gap year can be a lovely choice for uh, the year after high school. Um, But But I would say never do it just because you're unhappy with a set of outcomes. Be interested in the learning and the growth and the opportunities that can come from a structured year away somewhere. What are your thoughts on on gap year specifically, Steve? I think gap years, uh, they're an amazing option for for most kids. And I think it's very pleased that they've become a real alternative for for students who, who are who are probably, in many cases, simply fatigued by high school and and not only that, they need a, a change of scenery. They need to do something that where they can follow their their heart a bit, follow their passion, and um, have a wonderful yeah. life experience before they they get to college. I think it's a it's a great option if yeah. if if it becomes a feasible one for your family. So I, I'm a I'm also on uh, on the board of advisors of a of a gap year organization and um, which one American Gap Association AGA, and okay. it's just great. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful option to consider, and I'm glad that that in the U.S. it's become more attractive as an option. Yeah. Well, speaking of kids going somewhere else, <laughs> our next letter is from Lucy Sando, a California high schooler who's spending her 11th grade year abroad. Lucy has two questions for us. Here's the first part. My name's Lucy, and I'm a junior from Chico, California, where I attend a small charter school that focuses on arts and sciences. However, for the last seven months, I've been studying abroad through the Rotary Youth Exchange Program in the Czech Republic. I'm curious if you've guided any students before who lack junior year grades. I have decently solid grades for my first two years in high school, but I'm lacking many of the standardized test scores and hard classes that so many of my peers accumulated through 11th grade. Will my sophomore grades and the fact that I studied abroad demonstrate my academic skills to my dream colleges? Hmm. Spending junior year abroad in the Czech Republic instead of in the grind of American high school junior year sounds like a really wise choice to me. Steve, what kind of advice do you have for her? I, I hate to throw a, some cold water on this, but I think um, she she is going to be behind in terms of the credentials that, that she'll be presenting. So I the life experience she's having sounds marvelous and is probably the sort of thing that will last in her mind and her life for a long, long time. But I just wonder, it, it depends what her dream colleges are when she talks about applying to her dream colleges. So, Are you saying that a lot of colleges don't value, that, that colleges would say, boy, this year away was not a good idea? We'd rather have had you stay here in your junior year at your local high school taking the classes and tests that we, that we like to see? I mean, it's a trade-off. It's like you can't do both. So are you saying that right. there are some colleges that don't value the Rotary experience? I'd say there are some colleges that, that are still going to look at her her academics in a way, in a very traditional way. How many advanced courses 
um, hmm. what do her SATs and ACT look like? If her dream colleges ha- are among uh, among the dream colleges are those that are the most highly selective, I think she may have a difficult time ha- getting a thorough review. I'm afraid. Hmm. Um, but there, I know there are other colleges who would who would very much value that absolutely um, that yeah. experience. So okay. it really depends what what kind of school she's looking at. So when she comes back, what has she got to do? What are you, what are you recommending? You know, the, the first thing I'd recommend, which I'm, I'm sure she will not want to do, <laughs> is to ask her charter school if she can redo her junior year. Oh, my goodness. It depends on how old she is and whether that even makes sense. And it's something that she – now, she may not like that idea. Her parents may not like that idea. Yeah. Her school may not like that no. idea. But but that's the first thing I would Steve, think of. That's if, crazy. If she does have some some, sele- <laughs> I know, I know, no, I know. This can't be true, and there's no scenario under which this can be right. But obviously, <laughs> look, Steve's the oh, expert. We- Steve Steve knows where kids get in and where kids don't get in, and why. And um, I gotta say, if there's a college out there that's gonna ding you for doing Rotary, I don't want to attend that college. Oh, okay, Julie. Well, then- <laughs> I'm serious. It's easy for you to say. You went to Stanford. <laughs> yeah, my own kid's only a junior. <laughs> I know. I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But but again, I think um, that's one 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 option, and and they can they can dispel it if they'd like. The other is to um, is to see whether her time in the Czech Republic, if if she she can receive some some actually credentialing on what she's done, because that the Rotary program is not just experiential; it's it's also academic. So. I would hope that that her school would be able to give her academic credit for the time that she was away, hopefully similar to what she would have gotten if she had stayed. So that's the other thing I would do is talk to her her school about the kind of academic credit that she could receive from her time in in the Czech Republic and and to see how that stacks up and whether she still does fall short. Okay. And then, of course, there's the summer, right? She could do take some academic programs in the summer to fill the gaps, if there are gaps, before she goes into senior year. Yeah, we don't have any idea what she's learning in the Czech Republic, but I'm imagining it's a it's a rigorous high school program or an interesting one. I'm, I'm seriously disagreeing with Steve here. Steve's the expert, so you should listen to him, not me. Um, I guess what I'm going to ask, if listeners have experience having done kind of a rotary or an AFS a year away, some other country during high school... How did that impact your opportunities when it came to applying to attend college in the United States? I'd love to I'd love to be proven wrong or right here with my hunch that, you know, a year away is a is a valuable alternative to a year here in a in a US school. Wow, this is eye-opening for me. And there are some there are some programs abroad that are actually structured in a way that fit into the US college application process. A little better, like like SYA school year abroad. They have semesters, they have full years, and and they're built such that a student can do it seamlessly and and have no real effect on his or her college application. And it, to me, um, that just points to the reality that some colleges are simply not going to be that open minded about that alternative, which is unfortunate, but but it's it's reality. I hear that you're saying it's reality, I, 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 and I respect your opinion. You know, the notion that it would have no real effect, by which you mean no detrimental effect, you know, it seems crazy to me. I mean, it's like it should have a positive effect. They're going to another 
country. They're being exposed to another language, another way of thinking. You know, we learn more about ourselves as humans, as Americans, when we get out of the comfort zone of this country and go elsewhere. There's so much about that that should be incredibly enriching, should grow that human up at a far greater rate than she could achieve in her own high school environment, wherever she's from. So, boy, I just find myself here scratching my head. Um, (laughs) But I think to the extent it's true, it speaks to how this process has become this cookie cutter process. Let's accumulate the right grades and the right scores and the right classes, you know, push the buttons, press the tabs, apply to college. You know, boy, it's demoralizing. Okay. <laughs> Lucy has another question for us. I'm hoping that we have a more optimistic response. Let's see what the question is. My second question relates to your episode on art supplements. I'm very involved in the technical theater program at my school and have directed, designed, and stage managed multiple shows. Will this be something I should include as an art supplement in the form of sketches and photographs? I'm considering a few schools with strong drama and film programs. Thanks so much for unraveling some of the confusion around this application process. All right, Steve, what kind of supplements should Lucy be preparing? The decision she has to make is does she want to apply to more of a, a specialized program or to more general liberal arts and sciences college where she can do theater uh, in addition to her, her academic work or to have that the theater be part of that academic work? I, I think a great place to start is to look on the NYU Tisch website and and see what they require for for art supplements for theater or for film and 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 that that should be a good guide as to the sorts of supplements that would be the most effective for her uh, if she's if she's going to be applying to schools that have those programs and why are you picking NYU Tisch in particular just because uh, it's something I'm familiar with and I know that they have a robust portfolio program that they they review uh, when they're looking at candidates uh, who have a special talent in the arts and I, th- I think it's it's considered to be uh, at least in in this neck of the woods the the, the place to look okay and she speaks specifically to uh, a talent and an interest in set design stage management and she's asking should she include sketches and photographs presumably yes this is the way you would convey your talent and your interest in this arena is that right? That's correct. That is correct. And I think um, yeah, and, and most applications will have something called slide room, which is a, a, f- a function that students can use to send in a lot of material okay. about um, what they've done to show their, showcase their talent, photographs, videos, art, etc. All right. Lucy, here's to you in the Czech Republic. We wish you the best with the opportunities you have there and upon your return to California with all that awaits you here. Steve, thank you for joining me today. I I think this may be the first time I vociferously disagreed with you, but I very much appreciate your expertise and your advice. Thanks, Julie. It's, It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Awesome. Thanks. Listeners. We want to hear from you. Send us your voice memos and emails to our email address, gettingin@slate.com. And you can always leave a voicemail on our hotline, which I love because I love hearing your voice. That number is 929-999-4353. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at gettinginpod. That's all one word, gettinginpod. And if you can, please leave us a comment on iTunes because it helps other people discover the show. Getting In is a production of Slate and Panoply Media. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer. And Panoply's chief content officer is Andy Bowers. 
Thank you so much for listening. I'm Julie Lithcott-Hames. And remember, it's not just about getting in somewhere. It's about finding the right fit. Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks. You can download them and access them on a bunch of different devices like iPhones, Android, Kindle, or pretty much any other MP3 player. One book to try out from Audible is The Highest Glass Ceiling, Women's Quest for the American Presidency by Ellen Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick traces the quest from a time long before women got the vote and through decades when a woman's pursuit of any higher political office was met with prejudice, mockery, and hostility. If you want to listen to The Highest Glass Ceiling or many other books, Audible has it. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com slash college. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash college.